0: We do something also different in Advent. Uh, It's been our tradition over the last few years to spend a little time in the middle of our service lamenting. That may be another new practice for some of you. Lamenting is simply the process, the activity of longing, to be able to cry out to God and say, This is not the way that it's supposed to be, and we need you to make it right. We're going to use the words of Psalm 62 to lament together this morning. This one is also responsive, so I will read some and you will respond. So, will you uh, join me as we pray these words from Psalm 62 together? For God alone my soul waits in silence, from Him comes my salvation. He alone is our rock and our salvation, our fortress we shall not be shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Lord, many of us are feeling battered. We are feeling insecure. We are feeling fragile. We need you to come and make all things right. For God alone, my soul, wait in silence, for our hope is from him. He alone is our rock and our salvation, our fortress We shall not be shaken. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances, they go up. They are altogether lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Lord, we have put our trust in so many places. They have failed us. Many of us are feeling confused. We are feeling distant. We are feeling detached. And we need you to come and make all things right. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for our hope is from him. He alone is our rock and our salvation, our fortress, which shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. Lord, there is only one place to turn. It is in the incarnation of Jesus Christ and in His coming again that we place our full trust and hope. It is for Him that we wait. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for our hope is from Him. He alone is our rock and our salvation, our fortress. We shall not be shaken. Jesus said to us in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life has come, and he is coming again. That is why we can proclaim together with the psalmist that we shall not be shaken. Let's stand as we sing those words together.
1: We Seated.
2: Good morning. If you are a child, fifth grade and under, y'all can be dismissed to Children's Church in the back corner. Great. My name is Alyssa Payne. I'm happy to be with all of you today Uh, in Advent. I can't think of a year that we need it more or could be more grateful for a season of hope and a season of thankfulness, and uh, just remembering what Christ has done for us. So happy to get to celebrate that with all of you this morning. If you are new to HOPE, we would love for you to pull out your cell phone. It's okay, just for right now. Um, And text HOPENB to 97000, and we promise we're not going to spam you or send you a bunch of texts. We just want to properly welcome you and send you some information on things going on in the life of the church and get you connected or answer any questions that you might have. Also, this Wednesday, we have talked a little bit about this, Boxes of Blessing is gonna happen this Wednesday in San Antonio from three to six. Several of you, I was actually telling uh, Derek and Kathy this, that I've, I've been really thankful that I've gotten to help organize some of these mission things, and every single time we do something like this, I have so many people reach out and say that they wanna be a part of it, so first I wanted to thank everybody who's interested in helping. And also say several of you are kind of on the fence, so if you're still deciding, We would love if you could decide by tomorrow if you can go with us on wednesday or not and just let me know call or text me or find me after the service and let me know if you can go serve with us we're going to be boxing up food for people um, that are hungry and that need it and again i can't think of a year that people need it more than this year so thank you if you're helping and if you have any questions just ask me also we have our christmas eve service coming up in the park that's going to be at five o'clock on christmas eve at the dance lab and pavilion uh, we would love for y'all to bring friends, family. We're gonna be you know, out in the open, so hopefully everything will go well and the weather will cooperate with us. But we'll start with refreshments at 4.30 and then we will get to have our service at five. So looking forward to that. And then instead of doing our big party, Derek mentioned, um, all together, we're gonna do our Christmas parties in our smaller home groups. But we don't want you to not be able to participate. That in that, if you haven't been in a home group this semester, so please reach out to Kathy uh, and let her know if you're interested in joining one of the Christmas parties, and we will get you connected with the group and celebrate the Christmas season with you. Also, we have uh, all of our um, wonderful opportunities for getting connected uh, starting again this week. So, middle school, high school, women's Bible study, the DNA class tonight—all that will start back this week, and. also, if you do not have the Church Center app, this is kind of like the hub of information for the church. So please don't uh, please download that on your cell phone, and that's also a way that I can contact you about service, or they can contact you about Christmas parties. It's really helpful if everybody is connected on that. So please do that if you haven't already. And again, good to see you all today.
0: Thank you, Alyssa. Well, welcome again. Great to be here together. Happy Advent. Happy Thanksgiving. Hope everybody had a fabulous weekend together. Uh, we are back in the book of Daniel this week, and we are in Daniel, but we've kind of shifted gears a little bit in Daniel. You know, if you've ever been you know, to the uh, to the airport or some place like that, and they have those moving sidewalks, and you get on that sidewalk, and you're just walking regular, and you're just totally cruising, and you're going so fast, and then you get off the sidewalk, and there's that immediate jarring kind of feeling of, wow, what happened? I slowed down immediately. Uh, sometimes Advent can feel a little bit like that. The things that we've been doing already in this service could feel a little jarring. This is also a little bit of a jarring kind of time in Daniel. We've been looking at uh, a bunch of really great stories. And we're going to turn our attention for the next four weeks, this week included, on the prophecies that happen in Daniel, some dreams, some prophecies that are given to Daniel and that we get to actually read and try and figure out what in the world they mean. Uh, Let me just say really quickly, um, this is a good time, as Alyssa said, for us to be celebrating this. I don't know if any of you have seen that YouTube video that's kind of floating around of that woman who has found, she stumbled upon her 2020 goals uh, and is reading them together. And they are things like, make more money, and she's been unemployed since March. Uh, you know, be more social, travel more, things like that. Uh, and, and she, you know, one of them even is spend more time with her grandmother who died during the pandemic. I mean, it's, it's tragic, but it's so tragic that she just can't stop laughing. It's, it's so absurd, and she's so out of tears that she simply cannot stop laughing. There's a little bit of that absurdity that you may feel as I read this passage. But the thing is, Daniel, I think, could really connect with that feeling. He has had himself a year, in fact, about 70 of those years. And I think he probably could really connect with the way that many of us are feeling right now. So keep that in mind as I read this passage, and particularly keep in the back of your mind what uh, is being proclaimed here, and it's the seed of hope that's being planted to Daniel and to God's people then that is the same seed of hope that is planted for us. So let me read to you Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, and he told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And then behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, It was raised up on one side, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked and behold another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. And after this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were there before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little horn, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. And as I looked, thrones were placed And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all of this, so he told me. And he made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, beast which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and its jaws of, of bronze or claws of bronze, which devoured and broke into pieces, and stamped out what was left with his feet. And about the ten horns that were on his head, and the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companion. And as I looked, his horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he, the angel, said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom of earth on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and will wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful for your word, and we ask now that you would speak to us through it, Uh, that, Lord, even as we enter into trying to discern uh, this difficult passage as we kind of try and find our way through all of these images, that you would remind us of the thing that we need to know the most, that Jesus is coming, and with him is coming hope. We need that now more than ever. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. I have uh, I've spoken with some of you about um, my, my new, most recent favorite television show called Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso is, uh, is the story of, of an American football coach that is hired by an English Premier League soccer team to come and coach their soccer, their soccer team. He knows nothing about soccer. And, uh, and the whole show, it's funny, uh, it's humorous, it's also a little inappropriate at times, so please keep that in mind, and, uh, and it's probably not appropriate for children. It's a funny show, it's a heartwarming show, but really what makes this show so special is that it is, through, from really from beginning to end, it proclaims the triumph of hope over cynicism. I really don't think it's a stretch to say this is the most counter-culturally positive show that's been on television in a long time. In fact, there's, there's one episode that, that is titled, It's the Hope That Kills You, and it's really riffing off of this kind of famous, cynical English phrase that it's the hope that really kills you. It's not the despair that really kills you, it's the hope. So basically, the answer to life's problems, if you're feeling the pressure, is simply to lower your standards and then everything will be fine. If you just stop hoping so much, then you won't be disappointed nearly as much. That probably resonates with us, doesn't it? We can feel that. I can feel that tendency in myself to say, you know what, I should just give up hope of any kind of uh, feeling of fulfillment right now or connection with other people. We should give up kind of the hope of, of of a fulfilling or fruitful marriage. We should give up hope of real, deep, intimate connection with friends. We should give up hope of whatever it is, fill in the blank, in your life. And by lowering our standards, And giving up hope, that's the way that we're actually going to be able to make it through this mess that we're in right now. But really, this show, and most importantly, its it's lead character, Ted Lasso, throughout the entire thing defies that phrase. In fact, the way that he lives his life is just the opposite. It's to say, it's not the hope that kills you, it's actually the hope that sets you free. And the way that you make it through the mess that we're in right now and through the difficulty of life and through the conflict is not by letting go of that hope, it's by holding to it more tightly. That is the message that we receive in Daniel 7. If you, uh, if you boil it down to its very basic message, this is what it is. Jesus is coming and with him is coming hope. Jesus is coming, and his coming gives us us hope even now. That's the message of that great show, and that is, most importantly, the message of Daniel 7. It's what he needed to hear. It's what God's people in exile needed to hear. And guess what? It's what we need to hear today, isn't it? That Jesus is coming. He is returning. He is coming back and He is coming on the clouds to judge and to reign and to rule and to usher in peace, and He is coming to do that, and that is going to give us hope even now. Now, I think it's helpful for us before we kind of dive into the details of this passage if we zoom out a little bit and talk about what exactly we're looking at. This is a genre of literature in the Bible that's different than what we've been reading so far in Daniel. We've been looking at narratives, at stories, awesome stories like people thrown into lion's dens and fiery furnaces and writing on the wall and cool stuff, right? And now we've shifted gears into what we call apocalyptic prophecy, that word probably rings a bell, uh, apocalyptic. We, we, we know the word apocalypse because it's in half of our movies, right? If you've ever seen a movie about zombies or a show about zombies, that's what it's talking about, apocalypse. And apocalyptic literature in the Bible is actually kind of similar to the apocalyptic movies that we have in our society today because apocalyptic literature in the Bible is really there to proclaim this. The end of this time is coming and a new time is going to replace it. So, apocalyptic literature is actually a vision of the end of this time, a time that is marked by conflict, a time that is marked by discouragement, a time that is marked by difficulty, a time that is marked by war oftentimes, the end of that time, and actually the beginning of the age to come, marked by peace and flourishing and beauty. That's really what apocalyptic literature is. It is that vision given to usually a prophet of God of the end of this time and the beginning of the next. But here is where it's usually so hard for us, is that that communication comes in a weird way. It comes to us very oftentimes in images that we don't totally understand. It comes oftentimes in confusing ways that we can't quite get our hands around. It's like it's coming to us in a different language. Right, so, we're, we're getting this proclamation of the end of this age and the beginning of a really beautiful new age, but we're getting it in a different language. And, you know, sometimes uh, it's hard to interpret things in a different language because it's hard not only to know what's being said in the language, but even in the way that it's said, right? Think about an idiom in a foreign language. Uh, it's not always, it doesn't always mean exactly what the words mean themselves. For instance, listen to this. In German, there is an idiom, uh, die Katz im Sack Kaufen. And uh, it, the literal translation is to buy a cat in a sack. But it's really not about cats. Uh, it's, it really just means that the buyer purchased something without inspecting it first. That you don't have to have purchased actually a cat in a bag in order to use this idiom. Or there's a Swedish idiom like this, and you're going to have to pardon all of my butchering of these languages at glida in pa in rachmacha, it refers to somebody who didn't have to work to get where they, they are right now, but but the literal translation is that they slid in on a shrimp sandwich. <laughs> I'm going to use that one. it's really good. And then, of course, you know, uh, as Southerners, we have our own idioms, right? I, I remember my dad saying multiple times, uh, that guy's got more money than Carter's got pills. And I have no idea who Carter is, and I don't know what pills he's taking or why he has so many of them, but I know that it means that whoever he's talking about has a lot of money, right? That's what it means. So, here's my point, is that when we are looking at these images given to us in biblical prophecy, we do need to do the work of trying to interpret what they mean, but sometimes we can get lost in the details, right? So, so we don't need to be talking about shrimp sandwiches and Carter and his pills as much as we need to be talking about what is the overall meaning of what God is trying to tell us. So that's the, the, the how of apocalyptic, but this is really important too, is that there is a why of apocalyptic literature. And the why is simply to give the beleaguered people of God hope. That's the goal Anytime you read prophecies like this in the Old Testament, when you read something like the book of Revelation at the very end of the Bible, the goal is for the people living in the conflict right now to have hope that it's going to change. So that's what apocalyptic is, a vision of the end of this age and the age to come given to us in a different language that is oftentimes very confusing, but is done so in order that we might have hope. That is the general uh, genre as a a, a whole. That's also what we're seeing here specifically in Daniel 7. That's the goal of Daniel 7 as well. It's a vision of the future given to us in some strange ways so that we might have hope. So let's kind of focus in now on the details. It's a weird passage, isn't it? Daniel dreams, and he has uh, what you would very rightly call an extremely frightening dream. This is a dream that, that would wake you up in cold sweats in the middle of the night. This is a dream that if you made it into a movie, you wouldn't want your kids watching. And Daniel dreams, first of all, uh, of, the, of the sea and swirling winds, and very oftentimes in the Old Testament, the sea is actually an image of chaos. So we start the whole dream in chaos, in windy chaos, and then up out of the sea, out of that chaos, come four monsters, and they're crazy-looking monsters, The first beast is this beast uh, who's got a lion with eagle's wings, and then somehow in the midst of it, the wings fall off, and he stands up on two legs like a man, and he starts reasoning or speaking like a man. Then the second beast comes up, and it's a bear, and we're told it's raised up on one side, which either means he's poised, ready to strike, or he's deformed in in some way, And already you can see in his mouth, there's the remains of some animal or human. There's ribs already in his mouth, and he's being told, go and eat more, go and devour. That's a frightening animal. Third, though, after that is is a leopard that's also part bird that has four heads and some sort of dominion. We're not told how. But we've got this leopard, speedy, who can also fly and can also probably see in all directions because it's got four heads and eyes kind of everywhere. And if that weren't enough, after those three beasts, we have the fourth beast, which is really the scariest of them all. And it's the scariest because Daniel doesn't even really know how to explain it. He says it's really like nothing he's ever seen. He can't even tell us what it's like by telling us a description of some animal that we know because it's like nothing we've ever seen. All we know is that it's exceedingly frightening. This is a scary, scary animal. And it's got 10 horns, And then, up out of those ten horns, pops another horn. And this horn has eyes, and it has a mouth, and it begins talking. What in the world do you do with a dream like that if you're Daniel? How frightening that must be. Four beasts coming out of this chaos of the sea like nothing you've ever seen before. What do you do with that? Well, of course, our big question is what do they mean? All right, what do do they mean? What are these four beasts, right? Well, fortunately for Daniel, fortunately for us, Daniel has a bit of an interpreter with him. There's an angel who's kind of walking him through this dream and telling him what everything means. And what he tells him is that these four beasts represent four kings. Unfortunately, he doesn't tell us which kings they represent. And, you know, us in 2020... We oftentimes read the Bible, and I think some, for some reason we can think this was just written maybe last week or so. And so all of the prophetic parts either are still yet to come or they've just happened in the last 10 years or so. And we read that with our very immediate context. That's probably not the best way to read these kind of prophecies. In fact, if you if you ask most biblical scholars what these beasts represent, they will tell you that they probably all represent kingdoms that have happened actually a long time ago. Most scholars uh, are together on the idea that these four kingdoms really represent uh, the next kind of four uh, kingdoms in succession during Daniel's time. So, the first, this lion with the eagle's wings, is Babylon, the kingdom of Babylon. That's actually when Daniel was prophesying, when he saw this dream, was during the uh, Babylonian reign. And then after that is Persia. The bear is Persia or, or Medo-Persia in some way. And then after that, this jaguar with it's also part bird with four heads is probably Greece, Alexander the Great, who comes and with amazing speed and swiftness covers most of the known world at the time and conquers it all. And this weird fourth beast is the hardest one to interpret, but oftentimes folks think this is Rome, the Roman Empire with its iron claws and teeth kind of crushing and laying down everything. And I think that's legitimate. I think probably for the most part we can say yeah, there seems to be some things pointing to these kingdoms. But I think there's another interpretation too that, that that maybe we can layer over that that's helpful for us. And it's this. It's that yes, these beasts are pointing to some very particular kings and kingdoms that we've seen in this world, but they are also saying something very general to us. And that is this, is that this is the way that earthly kingdoms are, is that when we look out in the world and we see the multitude of of earthly kingdoms, they look really beastly. And sure, we can kind of trace the line of these beasts together, right? That there's Nebuchadnezzar and there's Cyrus and there's the terrors of Alexander, and there's the Roman Empire, and there's really these terrible persecutions on the Jews, and then there's the terrible persecutions on the Christians with people like Nero. But then after that, we actually see the beastly nature even of the Christian empires in Rome, and we see the, the Inquisition, and we see the Crusades, and then we see things like Hitler, Mussolini. We see the Japanese empire killing millions of Chinese civilians. We see apartheid. We see Jim Crow laws. We see Boko Haram and Al-Qaeda and ISIS. We see the beastly nature of communism, which sees all of humanity really as fodder simply for the state's machine. But we also see the beastly nature of capitalism, which finds human beings to be worthless if they're not feeding the bottom line. I think much of what we're reading here in Daniel 7 is God actually saying to us, you know, when you look out across the world and you take account of all of the empires and the kingdoms of this world, they look pretty darn beastly, don't they? They are out for blood, they are out for conquering, they are out for conflict, and they are out for themselves. One commentator said this, he said, you know, the picture of the world here is a place that is not very safe to sleep in. That is the picture we get of the kingdoms of this world when we are given, as they are given to us here in Daniel 7. Of course, we're not finished with Daniel 7 because we get another picture too. We open up in verse 9 and we read something really amazing is that then I heard the sound of his words. Excuse me, I'm sorry. Chapter ahead, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, his hair like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. A stream of fire issued came out before him, thousands and thousands served him, and the court sat in judgment as the books were opened." We get a picture of the ancient of days sitting on his throne, the one who's not just old but who is eternal. And he's dressed in white and his hair and his beard are white. That's not to say he's just an old man. It's actually to say he's regal and he's pure. We see flames coming out of this throne that seems to be a chariot as well as a throne. We see flames coming out in front of him uh, indicating his power and his glory. And we see him being worshiped by thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon thousands that angels and people have come to bow down and worship and serve him. And we see that he is not only a king, he's also a judge. And as he opens up his law book and proclaims judgment, the other kingdoms fall. And then amazingly, someone else comes and stands beside the Ancient of Days behind his throne. On the clouds comes one like a son of man who comes along and stands there on the dais by the king and proclaims the same judgment, and he's worshiped, and he's adored, and he's glorified by all. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a high point in what is otherwise a really frightening dream. In fact, you could see it maybe in your own Bible that it's set off in verse. Even the way it's written indicates to us that this is really the the, the pinnacle piece of this passage. This is the high point of what we're going to talk about, is that there is one who is going to reign, and it is going to be good. Now, if you're Daniel, honestly, this part's probably confusing too, though, right? Because you see uh, one coming like a son of man. He's clearly human, Son of man is actually human characteristics, but there's something else weird going on too because he's clearly divine. He's sitting up right beside the ancient of days. He's doing the judging. He's being worshiped as he is divine. What do you do with somebody who's divine and human? For Daniel, that's confusing. For us, we know who this is, don't we? One who is fully man and fully God. You know, Jesus in, uh, in Mark 14, when he was being questioned by Caiaphas, Caiaphas, the high priest, really said this to him. He said, uh, he said are, you, uh, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And this is what Jesus said. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is actually alluding to Daniel 7 here. Jesus is claiming this for himself. You know Jesus' favorite name for himself? Son of man. That is what he told his disciples over and over. The son of man is coming on the clouds and coming to judge. Friends, this is great hope for us in a time that we live in. In a time where, honestly, our tears are used up and all that we can do is laugh absurdly at what's going on in the world. Jesus has come to say to us, I am coming. I am coming and there is hope. And, of course, the beautiful and maybe even confusing time that we live in now is that we live between the comings. This is the glory of Advent, right? We get to celebrate the first coming of Christ, that he looked upon the world and he saw the conflict and he saw the disorder, and instead of just throwing it out, he actually took it upon himself. He looked at us in our sorry state, and instead of just bailing out, he actually came to be one of us. And he took that conflict on himself, our very sin upon himself, and he took our punishment, and that judge that sat in judgment judged his own son. And he was judged on our behalf, and he was crucified, and he was dead, and he was buried. And then incredibly, he triumphed over sin and death. He rose from the grave, and in doing so has ushered in this new kingdom, this new time, this promise that there will be a time in which the conflict is no longer what marks us, but it is peace. And we live waiting for that time now. We live having, given, having been given the seed of that promise and we're waiting for the fulfillment of it. We get to actually cling to that first coming and know that the promise of His second coming is just as sure as the promise of His first there's a a scene in the movie, um, Saving Mr. Banks. It's about Pamela Travers, who, who wrote the book Mary Poppins, and her relationship with Walt Disney. And Walt Disney is trying to make Mary Poppins, the book, into Mary Poppins, the movie. And he's talking to Pamela Travers about this, trying to get her permission to do it, but she's really reluctant, And she's reluctant because she wrote the book and the characters in the book really kind of as an extension in many ways of her family. So, George Banks uh, is really modeled after her own kind of flawed father. Mary Poppins is modeled after her aunt that kind of came in and rescued her. And all the characters, uh, they're modeled after people in her family. So, she is understandably nervous about what she does with the members of her family, right, that are all out there in some form in these characters, and in the scene where Disney is, is convincing her to, to, to let him care for these beautiful family members and to produce the movie that most of us know and love, it is really beautiful. Listen to what he says. He says, "'Give Mary to me, Miss Travers. Trust me with your precious Mary Poppins. I won't disappoint you. I swear that every time a person goes into a movie house, they will see George Banks being saved. They will love him and his kids.' They will weep for his cares and wring their hands when he loses his job. And when he flies that kite, oh, they will rejoice, they will sing. In every movie house all over the world, in the eyes and the hearts of kids everywhere, George Banks will be honored, maybe not in life, but in imagination. Because that's what we storytellers do. We restore order with imagination. We instill hope again and again and again. Trust in me, Ms. Travers. Let me prove it to you. I give you my word. Friends, God has given us His word. He is restoring our imaginations with hope. He is telling us in the strangest of ways that Jesus is coming and that we can have hope because of that. And isn't that really what Advent is about? The longing for what is to come with the full knowledge that it's coming. The waiting, the anticipating, the difficulty of living in the conflict now because we know that the hope to come is real. Paul says in Romans that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not monsters, not viruses not the kingdoms of this world, not even our own hearts. Jesus is coming, and He is coming with hope. Let's cling to that hope now so that it changes the way that we live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, hope is a frightening thing. I know many of us, I know my own heart, I oftentimes shy away from it because I'm scared to hope. But, Lord, you have given us something sure. You have given us a hope that cannot be shaken. You have given us your promise. Let it reshape our imaginations now that we might live into the conflict, that we might move into the awkwardness, that we might embrace even the frustration that we're in right now because our hearts are so set on the hope that is to come. Thank you, Jesus, for the promise of your coming again. Thank you for the down payment on that promise in your incarnation. Lord, let them change us. We pray in your name. Amen.